Well, we have been in a teaching series here at Kauai Bible Church called Awaken, Coming Alive Through Worship. And we are spending seven weeks just diving into worship, understanding um, how God is using it, what it means to God, what it means to us, uh, even how much the devil hates it and how he's trying to get us to stop doing it. We're just looking at all different aspects of worship. And so we started out two weeks ago with the prophetic declaration of wake up that we want our worship to stir us back to life. And if we have grown cold or apathetic, that we would wake up to the Spirit of God and we would wake up to worship. And then last week, we looked at worship as warfare. And we realized that the fight doesn't belong to us. The fight belongs to God. We don't have to fight. We just need to show up and worship. And if we will show up and worship, God will fight the battle for us. He will drive the giants out of our garden, and we can reap the reward and the blessing. We're going to look at another aspect of worship today, and the title of this message is Listen Like an Elephant. Yes, you heard that right. Listen like an elephant, and you're going to have no idea what that means until the end of the message. I'm just going to leave you hanging on it. But the topic that we're going to look at is prophetic worship. That's prophetic worship, not pathetic worship, because that would be bad if we had pathetic worship, okay? But we want to look at prophetic worship. And I know that when you hear that, immediately your mind goes to, oh, prophetic worship, that's those charismatics, they're rolling in the aisles and barking like dogs and doing stuff like that. No, I don't want you to tune this out. Now listen, let me be very upfront. Yes, we are a charismatic church. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word charism was the word that's translated in the Bible, spiritual gifts. So when you're reading in the Bible about spiritual gifts, that was the Greek word charism, or the plural of it was charismata, spiritual gifts. So a charismatic church means a church that still believes in the functioning of the spiritual gifts today. We're super passionate about worship. We're passionate about operating in the gifts of the Spirit, seeing miracles, seeing healing, seeing all of that break out. And so, yes, we are a charismatic church, but I understand that maybe not everybody here is charismatic. Or maybe not everybody listening to this sermon on our podcast is charismatic. And I just want to encourage you, don't tune this out. Why? Because what you're going to hear today is that prophetic worship was actually established by King David in the Old Covenant. Before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, before the talk of spiritual gifts and charismatic churches, a good thousand years before Jesus was born, King David implemented prophetic worship. And we believe that it is still the type of worship that God is looking for today. So that's what we're going to dive into. So before we talk about prophetic worship, let's just talk about prophecy. What do we mean when we talk about prophecy or prophesying or we talk about the prophetic? Let's go to the Bible, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to read the first five verses. What is happening here is Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, He had planted this church, and he had gone back a couple of times to visit the church, but they seemed to get a little cockeyed on some things. They they got a little off track, and one of the things the Corinthian church got off track on is they fell in love with one particular spiritual gift. They loved spiritual gifts, but there was one that they loved the most, and that was speaking in tongues. 
I don't know why they liked it so much. I don't know why they got so caught up into it, but they did. And when they gathered together as a church, all they wanted to do was speak in tongues. So they're babbling in gibberish languages or they're babbling in languages that nobody understands. And it's almost like a status symbol, right? They're, they're, they're trying to see who can speak in tongues more than the next person. And, and that was their spiritual gift. And so this is what Paul is addressing when he's writing to them in 1 Corinthians 14. He says this, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. So he is saying to the Corinthians, hey, that's great that you guys are speaking in tongues. But when you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking a language that nobody understands. So it's just kind of like you and God having a conversation. Nobody's getting built up by it. Nobody's learning anything from it. He says, but when you prophesy, when you prophesy, people hear and they understand and they're built up and they're encouraged. He says, so that's great that you guys speak in tongues, but I want all of you to prophesy. I want all of you to have this gift. So what is prophecy? What are we talking about here? Well, the simplest explanation I can give of prophecy is this. It's being inspired by the Holy Spirit to share a message from God. It's as simple as that. The Holy Spirit inspires you, something moves on your heart, and you have a message from God to share. That message could be intended for a large group, like sharing that message in front of the entire church. That message could be meant for a small group, like a home group or a Bible study, or maybe you're just supposed to share it with one family. Or that message might be intended for an individual. You just feel like God is calling you to this person over here on this side of the church, and you're supposed to give them a message from God. Now, let me just give you a, a word of warning or a word of wisdom, and that is this. If you feel like you have a word for an individual, like you're just supposed to go to one person and share a message with them, I would encourage you to bring somebody with you so that there's a third party there for accountability. Or if you don't bring somebody with you, get your phone out and record it while you're sharing it with them. Why is that? Because if we start operating in the flesh, we can use prophecy for manipulation and deception. We can use prophecy to manipulate people emotionally. We can use prophecy just to try to get people to do what we want, right? And there needs to be some accountability to that. And so one-on-one -on -one prophetic words off to the side, if there's no accountability, it can get dangerous. And so I encourage you, bring somebody along or get your phone out and record it so that there's some accountability. So that's a prophetic word. It's just a message that God has put on your heart that you're supposed to share with somebody. Now, there is a difference between the spiritual gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet. Right? When I talk about the office of a prophet, I'm talking about Ephesians where it says there's apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, right? There's five offices in the church. There's the gift of prophecy and there's the office of a prophet. The gift of prophecy 
means a prophetic word can come upon any follower of Jesus at any time, especially when you're in a prophetic environment. Because a lot of times people say, well, I'm not a prophet, so God doesn't give me prophetic words. No. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're eligible. And he might choose you at any time, especially when we're in an environment where the prophetic is stirred up or the Holy Spirit is moving. He might choose you and put a word on your heart. And that doesn't mean that all of a sudden now you have to be a prophet. It just means you're a follower of Jesus. And at this moment on this day, he's given you the gift of prophecy to share a message with somebody or to share a message with the church. The office of the prophet, on the other hand, is somebody who can operate in the gift of prophecy at all times, regardless of the environment. They are somebody who has a recognized gift. They have credibility. They've been recognized by the church, or they've been recognized by a whole region of churches, that they have a gift that they can operate in at any time. You can bring them into a room, put them in front of one person, and just say go, and they can prophesy over that person. That's somebody who's in the office of a prophet. I want you guys to understand the difference because Paul didn't say, I want the prophets to prophesy. Paul said, I want all of you to prophesy. I want all of you to have the gifts. Now, I went to a church for, for several years, and I won't say the name of the church because I'm not going to put them on blast like that, but there was this one person in the church, and they just seemed to be the self-appointed prophet of the church. And it seemed like any time during a Sunday service, whenever the prophet, the prophetic was getting stirred, they were the ones that would come up and give a message. And every Sunday it was the same person. And then if somebody else came up and gave a message, that person felt the need to go after them just to either one-up it or try to explain it. And it didn't feel genuine, and, and it, just, it, uh, it just felt phony. Then we moved up to Vancouver, Washington, and we started going to City Harvest Church. And Bob McGregor, who's the lead pastor of the church, is definitely in the office of a prophet. But he created an atmosphere in his church where anybody could prophesy. And we started to notice when we started going to the church, every Sunday, every service, it was somebody different. There was no self-appointed prophet of the church. It was just every Sunday, this Sunday, God moved on this person. Next service, God moved on this person. Next Sunday, it was a different person. And it was like every service, every Sunday, it was a different person. And you knew it was genuine, especially when it was somebody that was scared to death. Right? They're up there. They're scared out of their minds. The microphone's shaking like this. And they're trying to give the word because they don't want to be up there. But that service, that Sunday, God chose them. That's the difference between the gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet. Now, there's two types of words from God, two types of prophecy. The one we think of is foretelling, and that is declaring a future event before it has happened. When you hear the word prophecy, that's the first thing you think of. It's like, oh, it's kind of like predicting the future, right? You're going to say something before it happens. Well, that's actually only half of prophecy. The other half is what we call forthtelling. So we have foretelling. And then we have forthtelling. Forthtelling is speaking a word of God that is specific for right now. That God has a message that's right now for the church. It might be meant to encourage one specific person in the church. It might be meant to heal one specific person in the church. But God has a right now word. And so sometimes you get that move on your heart and you get this message, but you're like, well, that's not telling the future, so that's not a prophetic word. Yeah, it is. It's a word for right now. 
And it may not even make sense to you why it's a word for right now, but the person who it's for, it's going to make perfect sense to them. So what should a prophetic word do? Well, in verse 3 out of this passage that we just read describes it. Paul says, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Three things, edification, exhortation, and consolation. Edification means building up. So a word of edification means you're building up somebody's faith. You're building up somebody's strength. You're building up somebody in God. You're you're building them up and and strengthening them for the journey that they're going to go on. Exhortation is encouragement. That means you're stirring up. You're stirring somebody up. You're stirring up a gift that's inside of them. You're encouraging them. You're stirring them up to go farther in their faith. You're stirring them up to step out for God. And consolation means cheering up. Somebody's down. Somebody's struggling. Somebody's fighting the good fight. And, and you're going to speak a word that's going to lift up their spirit and it's going to cheer them up. Edification, exhortation, consolation. You, you notice what's not on that list is condemnation and judgments. Okay? Condemnation and judgment are not on that list. Now, does that mean it's impossible to prophesy judgment? No. That's pretty much what the whole Old Testament is, right? Is, is Old Testament prophets prophesying judgment. But even in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation... John is prophesying judgment against the seven churches, right? So even in the New Testament, there is judgment in prophecy. But we're going to reserve that for those that are in the office of the prophets. That somebody who has that recognized gift and who is respected for that gift, we're going to leave declarations of judgment to that person. For us, when we're just getting stirred up in prophecy, there should be no condemnation and there should be no judgment. It should be edification, exhortation, consolation, building up, stirring up, cheering up. So that's the prophetic. So now let's combine that with worship and talk about what is prophetic worship. We're going to go to 1 Chronicles 25 and we're going to look at David establishing his prophetic worship team. We're going to read the first seven verses here of 1 Chronicles chapter 25. It says this, Moreover, David and the commanders of the army set apart for the service some of the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jeduthun, who were to prophesy with lyres, harps, and cymbals. And the number of those who performed their service was, now bear with me, we're about to read a bunch of Hebrew names here, of the sons of Asaph, Zachar, Joseph, Nethaniah, and Asherah, the sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied under the direction of the king. Of Jeduthun, the sons of Jeduthun, Gedaliah, Zerai, Jeshiah, Shimei, Hashabiah, and Mattatiah, six under the direction of their father, Jeduthun, with the harp, who prophesied in giving thanks and praising the Lord. Of Heman, the sons of Heman, Bear with me, he had 14 sons. Bukiah, Mataniah, Uziel, Shebuel, and Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliathah, Gedalti, and Ramontiether, Jospakashah, Malathai, Hother, Mahathios. Come on, give me some credit here. Whoo! You say, Pastor, how do you know how to pronounce so many Hebrew names? I don't, I'm totally making it up, okay? I'm just. I'm just trying to read them phonetically. I don't speak Hebrew, but I did a great job there. Okay, verse 5, all these 
were the sons of Heman, the king's seer, to exalt him according to the words of God. For God gave 14 sons and three daughters to Heman. So you see what's happening here is David has appointed three worship leaders, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun. Now Heman, it says he was the king's seer. Seer is another word for prophets. So Heman has already been recognized as one of the king's prophets, and David decides, I'm going to make you not just a prophet, but a worship leader. And not only was he a prophet, but he was recognized for being really good at it. Why? Because God had blessed him with 17 kids. In the Old Testament, they believed when your quiver was full, that was a sign of blessings from God. So he had a job, and he was really good at his job. Of being a prophet, guys. Come on, of being a prophet. That's what I'm talking about, all right? Stay with me here, all right? He was blessed because he already was operating as a prophet, and now David makes him a worship leader. In verse 6, all these were under the direction of their father to sing in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres for the service of the house of God. Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman were under the direction of the king. Their number who were trained in singing to the Lord with their relatives, all who were skillful, was 288. Why is that significant? Why 288? Because each worship team had 24 people in it, and they broke them up into 12 worship teams so that they could take turns rotating so that worship was going on 24-7 in front of the tabernacle. And tabernacle is just a fancy word for a tent where the presence of God was. So they were worshiping in front of a tent 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They broke them up into 12 teams so that they could go for a few hours and then they could have a couple days off. And then they could go for a few hours and they could have a couple days off. So there was 12 worship teams, 24 people in each team, and they just kept rotating through. So what do we get from this? What, what, what are we learning here by looking at David's prophetic worship team? First is this. A musical environment that stirred up the prophetic was a governmental and military priority. The very first phrase we read was this, moreover, David and the commanders of the army. Now, there's some dispute from scholars about that phrase that is translated commanders of the army. Some scholars believe that it should be translated the leaders of the Levites. The Levites were the spiritual leaders of Israel. Others believe that it should be translated the governors, which means the other governmental leaders. So there's some dispute about whether these were military leaders, spiritual leaders, or government leaders. But what if we just took it to mean all three? And that the leadership of the nation of Israel, for the government, for the military, for the church, they all considered it a priority that there would be an environment of music that stirred up the prophetic. They made a decision. This wasn't just David going with this. This was David along with his leaders getting together and coming up with this strategy that it was that important that they would have prophetic music being played. Second thing we get is this. The musicians and the singers were set apart for this anointing. These were all Levites. Back then, Levites were not allowed to work any other job. They could only serve God in the tabernacle. That means these were full-time musicians and full-time singers. Their only job was to be set aside just so that they could be anointed, so that they could lead prophetic worship. 
Unfortunately, we don't have that opportunity today. Our musicians and our singers, they all work other jobs, right? They've, they've got to do other things. We've got Pastor Danae, and we pay her. And, and, and I told her when I sat down with her her first day on the job, I dropped a, a phrase that, that, uh, that I first heard from, from Dick Iverson, and that is this. I said, I pay you to be anointed. That is, that is your number one thing on your job description, first and foremost, is I pay you to be anointed. You have been set apart for this service. You have been set apart to be anointed. But even all of those that are our musicians and our singers that are on our worship team that stand on this stage, they have been set apart for a service to the Lord. And even though they have to work other jobs, that we expect them to come prepared. We expect them to be living a life that is set apart for God. We expect them to have been preparing themselves to receive the anointing so that they could be used of God. Used of God for what? For prophetic worship. The third thing is that the prophetic was released through both the instruments and the singing. Right? We read this, that they were prophesying with lyres and harps and cymbals. So these were stringed instruments and drums that they were prophesying with. And you say, well, that's weird. If prophecy is a message from God, how can strumming a stringed instrument send a message from God? I can't hear a message from God in the strumming. When they're banging on the drums, how is that drum beat a message from God? How are we prophesying with our instruments, not just with our voices? And the answer is that the prophetic is released through the playing of the song. The prophetic is released through the playing of the song. And so as, as the Holy Spirit wants to move and bring prophetic messages and the Holy Spirit wants to move and speak to your hearts, as the worship team takes the stage and they have set themselves apart and they have prepared themselves to be anointed and they begin to play the song, as they begin to play the song, the prophetic is released. And the prophetic message is not the cord itself. The cord itself is releasing the prophetic message for you to receive in your hearts. They were releasing the prophetic both through their instruments and through their singing. Listen, the song that they're singing, they're singing words, but listen, that song was written in advance, right? Most of the songs that this team was singing were written by either King David himself or by Asaph. If you read the book of Psalms, you're going to find several Psalms at the top that say a Psalm of David or a Psalm of Asaph. So these were pre-written songs. So the words of the songs weren't necessarily the prophetic message. The words of the songs were releasing the prophetic message for the people to receive. And the next thing is this. The anointing was being released through a proper leadership structure. This is not chaos. This is not weirdness. Again, this is not us rolling in the aisles and barking like dogs. We're not going to do that. We're not ever going to do that, right? We're not going to flop like fish at the altar. This is not chaos. There is a structure to this. The anointing was released. Listen to what it says. It says that Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman were under the direction of the king. That means that God moved on the point man that was responsible for the nation, and that man was King David. David then took what was released to him and released it to these three worship leaders, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun. These three worship leaders then released it to their children. Their children released it to the rest of the 288, and those 288 released it to the people of Israel. 
There was a proper order and a proper structure in the releasing of it. And we want to see the releasing of that gift, and that means that I have a great responsibility as the point man of the church, that I am receiving from God, and then I release that to Pastor Danae, and Pastor Danae then releases that to the musicians and singers on the worship team, and then when the worship team takes the stage, they release it to the congregation, and then the congregation begins to move in the prophetic environment. There's a structure to it that we want to move in. It also says there was an environment of training and learning. It says their number who were trained in singing to the Lord with their relatives, all who were skillful, was 288. There was an environment of training and learning. That means that the worship leaders were being purposeful about training the musicians and singers. Not just training them in how to play their instrument or how to sing, but training them in how to move in the prophetic training them in how to understand what God was doing and where God was moving. And there was this training and learning, which means the leaders were purposeful about teaching, but it also means that the team was humble and open to receiving and growing and learning. And they were skillful. When it says they were skillful, it doesn't just mean that they were good with their instrument. It meant they were skillful in following the Holy Spirit and moving in the prophetic. So David establishes this prophetic worship team, and then check this out. About 20 years later, give or take, depending on how you read the timeline of Old Testament history, but if we say that 1 Chronicles 25 that we just read took place around 980 B.C., then if we skip ahead to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, is about 960 B.C., so we're looking at about 20 years later. 20 years later, David has now passed away. His son Solomon has become the king, and whereas David just had a tent where they worshipped, Solomon actually built a huge, glorious temple, and they were dedicating the temple, and even though David was dead, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, the three worship leaders, they were still alive. And now they were 20 years in practice in leading prophetic worship. And check out what happened. Second Chronicles chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And it says, And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and their sons and kinsmen, clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests blowing trumpets, in unison when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and when they Praise the Lord, saying, He indeed is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Check out what happens. Then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So we have Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun leading the team in prophetic worship. You've got 120 priests blowing trumpets in unison. Can you even imagine what 120 trumpets sounds like blowing together in unison? And then the band is playing, the singers are singing, the prophetic worship is taking place, and what happens? The presence of God shows up in the form of a cloud. The cloud fills the building, and the power of God is so strong The worship leaders can't even stand anymore. They're bowed down. They fall to their knees. They fall on their faces. 
They're trying to play their instruments. They're trying to keep on singing, but they can't even stand anymore because the glory of the Lord has filled the house. That is the goal of prophetic worship. We want the glory of the Lord to fill the house. And who for the day when it fills the house so strong that we can't even stand up? What a day that will be. This doesn't just stop with Solomon. I'm going to go through this quickly for the, for the sake of time. But in 2 Chronicles 29, this is now 260 years after King David established the prophetic worship team. Hezekiah becomes the king of Judah. At that time, the people of God had gone to worship Baals and other pagan gods. And, and, and when Hezekiah became the king, he reestablished the worship of the one true God, tore down the Asherah poles, took away the idols. And it says this in verse 25 of 2 Chronicles 29. He then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, and with lyres, according to the command of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet's. 260 years later, when Hezekiah wants to restore true worship, what does he do? He goes right back to King David's prophetic worship. Then we have Ezra after the captivity in Babylon. And then once Babylon falls and the Jewish people are released from captivity, they go back to Jerusalem, and Ezra leads a team to go back and rebuild the temple, and they lay the foundation of the temple, and in Ezra 3.10 it says, Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, this is 440 years later, and yet it is still the descendants of Asaph, the worship leader, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. 440 years later, and when they want to rebuild the temple, what do they do? They go right back to prophetic worship. Then, 90 years after that, Nehemiah comes to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And after he rebuilds the walls, in Nehemiah 12.45, it says this, For they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification, together with the singers and the gatekeepers, in accordance with the command of David. This is now 530 years after David when they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and they want the covering and the protection of God to come over those walls, what do they turn to? Prophetic worship. Right back to David's worship. In fact, it says that Nehemiah made two choirs, put both choirs on top of the newly constructed wall and had them march in opposite directions until they met on the other side of the wall the entire time singing prophetic worship as they marched on top of the wall. So what does prophetic worship imply? You say, what are you getting at, Pastor? You're talking about this, but, but what does this imply? The first thing that prophetic worship implies is inspiration. That there is an inspiration behind what the worship team is doing. That when we have a song list on a Sunday morning, we didn't just pick our favorite songs, and we didn't just pick songs because they fit a key that we can sing in. No, we prayed over it. For weeks in advance, we prayed over it, and we chose the songs that God had laid upon our heart to play for that Sunday because we believe that God spoke to us, and in our obedience to that, there is going to be an inspiration behind those songs. 
I know one of the things we're talking about here at the church is why are we singing so many new songs? We, we introduce so many new songs. Well, one of the reasons is this. Because the worship teams that we're choosing these songs from, we believe with all our heart that they are prophetic worship teams. Elevation worship, Jesus culture, Bethel worship. We believe that these are prophetic worship teams. And so when they release a new song, we believe that that's what God is saying now. And in the midst of prophetic worship, we want to declare what God is saying now. So I'm always watching Apple Music to see what the new song that's being released is. Because I want to hear the word of God for now. So there's inspiration behind it. There, there, there's a reason why we're doing these songs on this day because we feel like this is the message that God was bringing. Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 10. This is the prophet Samuel speaking to Saul who would become the first king of Israel. In verses 5 and 6 it says this, Afterward you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and a lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them, and check this out, and be changed into another man. He says, Saul, I want you to walk up this hill. And as you're walking up this hill, you're going to see a bunch of prophets walking down the hill. And they're going to be prophesying on their instruments. And the inspiration from them prophesying on their instruments, through that inspiration, the Holy Spirit is going to fall on you and you're going to begin to prophesy. That's the same inspiration that we are seeking here at Kauai Bible Church. When we worship, we want the Holy Spirit to fall on all of us, and we want the gift of prophecy to be stirred. And we want you to begin to prophesy. And if you have a message and you feel like that message is for the whole church, then right when you get it, I don't want you to wait until later, right when you get it, I want you to come find me right up front and tell me what the message is. And then I may interrupt worship right there on the spot and have you share that message right then. I might say, hey, you know what? I'm going to have you share that message right in the middle of my sermon. Or I'm going to say, hey, maybe I'm going to have you write that message down and I'm going to email it to the church. I've got to decide what to do with the message. But I want you to come tell me. And we'll put the mic in your hand and we'll have you release that message to the church. I want all of you to prophesy. And this Sunday, it might be your turn. And then next Sunday, it's somebody else's turn. And next Sunday, God will choose somebody else. But when it's your turn and you feel like it's a message for the church, don't hesitate. Because if you don't give it, the church is going to miss out on the word of God for today. Even if you're scared out of your mind. Even if you're like, I'm not going to hold a microphone. That's all right. You get up here. You, you give the word. Inspiration. The second thing that prophetic worship implies is releasing. The releasing of the anointing of God. That when the worship team plays and when the music is being played, the anointing is being released. And what is anointing? Anointing is the Holy Spirit coming upon you, empowering you to do the work of God. Right? Nowadays, when we do anointing oil, I've got this nice little bottle of oil right here, and I'm going to put a little drop on my finger, and I'm just going to put it right on your forehead. And even for some people, they don't like that because they're like, oh, no, I'm going to get a zit right on the middle of my forehead. Okay, but, but in the Old Covenant, 
When they wanted to anoint somebody, they took a big old vial of oil and they just poured the whole vial over their head and it covered their whole body and all of their clothes, right? And it, it messed up their hair. All right, it, it, the anointing is coming upon you. When the worship team plays, the prophetic begins to move and the anointing is released upon you. Why? So that you can leave this place with the power to do the work of God. The second thing that is released is the revelation of God. That is, you're going to hear the word of God. You're going to hear the message that he wants to share. You might receive it in a vision or a picture. You might receive it in a feeling, right? You might feel it in a different way. Um, Whatever the case may be, he's going to give you the revelation of God. And the other thing that's being released is the presence of God, like we just read in 2 Chronicles. The presence of God is released. The glory fills the house. And we celebrate in the presence and the power of God. And the last thing it implies is what we talked about at the beginning. What is prophecy? It's building up. It's stirring up. It's cheering up. First off, the prophetic gift is stirred up in the people. In 2 Kings chapter 3, Elisha, who was one of the most powerful prophets who ever lived, Elisha needed a word from God, and the word wasn't coming. So in verse 15, he says this, But now bring me a minstrel. And it came about when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus saith the Lord. Elisha couldn't get a word from God, so he said, Bring me a guitar player. And as soon as that guitar player started strumming, The prophetic gift was stirred up in Elisha, and he declared the thus saith the Lord, the word of God. We want the prophetic gift stirred up in you. We also want you to learn to hear the voice of God, and we're going to learn that in an environment of prophetic worship. We want your faith to be strengthened. We want your faith to grow. And as your faith increases, miracles increase. In the prophetic environment, we're going to see more miracles. We're going to see the hand of God moving in more amazing ways. How about this? The word of God is confirmed in your hearts. You may have had a question all week long and you were asking God and you were praying and you were looking for an answer and then you come to church and in the environment of prophetic worship, the answer is confirmed in your heart. People experience the joy of the Lord when the prophetic is released. People's spirits are lifted and we begin to celebrate in the joy of the Lord. And finally, people are moved to action. In the prophetic environment, we are stirred up to go out and do something more. We are built up to accomplish more for the kingdom of God. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back today. And I told you at the beginning that the title of this message was Listen Like an Elephant. Listen Like an Elephant. What in the world does that mean? Well, elephants have two ways of communicating. They have the communication we can hear, and this is the pretty common one, right? Because elephants can blurt out that loud trumpeting sound, right? They lift up their trunk, and they're just like, and elephants communicate in a way we can hear. But here's the awesome thing. Elephants have a communication that we can't hear. It's called infrasonic. What does infrasonic mean? It means when something, when the, 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 the frequency is so low that human ears can't hear it. Human ears can only hear down to 20 hertz. Below 20 hertz, the human ear can't hear it. So elephants have a language, a communication that is a low-level infrasonic rumbling. 
that the human ear can't pick up. Why is this effective? Because this low-level rumbling can travel longer distances than audible sound can. This low-level rumbling, depending on the atmospheric conditions, can travel up to 11 square miles, but in good conditions, up to 110 square miles. And elephants use this low-level rumbling to communicate with each other. Elephants are, are family animals. They travel in families. And so as the family maybe gets separated, going through the forest or going through the jungle, they use this low-level rumbling to draw the family back together again. They use it if they're out looking for water or they're foraging for food and one elephant finds the water, he sends out the low-level rumble and it draws all the other elephants in. They know, hey, he found the water. Let's come together. They use it for mating and for calling out their mates, right? The male lets out that low-level rumble. Hey, baby, meet me in the clearing. Come on down. And, and, and the female comes. Mothers and babies use it almost like a game of Marco Polo. The mom lets out a rumble, Marco. The baby answers back a rumble, Polo. And the mom knows that the baby is safe and okay, even though she can't see the baby. This low-level rumbling was first discovered by a scientist named Katie Payne. She discovered it in 1984. At this point, she was already famous because she had discovered the songs of the humpback whales. And she was the first one to understand that they were using these songs to communicate with each other. But in 1984, she was at the Portland Zoo in Portland, Oregon. And when she was standing with the elephants, she could feel a rumbling in the air. And because of her understanding with the whales beforehand, she knew that that rumbling meant that there was something happening that she couldn't hear. There was messages being sent that she couldn't hear with her ears, but she knew that they were there. And it launched this entire study into infrasonic elephant communication that's going on even to this day. And listen to these words directly from Katie Payne. She said, and I noticed little by little through that week that I was feeling over and over again a throbbing in the air, change of pressure in my ears that would occur when I was near the elephant cages, but not when I was in other parts of the zoo. And I knew just enough, perhaps because of the whale studies, to know that there is sound below the pitches of the sound that human beings can hear. And lo and behold, we discovered there was a whole other communication system that no one had known about. It was just below the frequencies our ears could hear. She felt a rumbling that nobody else noticed. She recognized the communication happening that she couldn't hear with her ears. And so when I say, listen like an elephant, what am I talking about? I am talking about in worship. We need to listen two ways. We need to listen to the music and the singing and the praises that we can hear. But we also need to listen for the rumbling of God that we can't hear with our ears. There is a second level of communication that is happening in prophetic worship. The song is just the beginning, but the song is releasing a rumbling from God. She says, I felt it. I felt the pressure in my ears. I felt the rumbling inside of me. When we worship, it is time to feel the rumbling inside of us, to listen like elephants to the prophetic message that God is saying, to experience what is being released as the worship is being played. And if you're only hearing the song, you're missing half the story. We need to listen like elephants and experience the rumble that is coming 
as we enter into prophetic worship. Will you stand with me today? We're going to go back into worship. And let us engage with what God is doing. There is a rumble that is coming. God knows that we gathered together to stand in his presence. He's not going to hold back from us. He's got a message for you. Maybe he has a message for the whole church right now. Maybe he has a message for you to share. But there is a rumbling that is happening. And as we worship, let's celebrate the song that was written for the worship. But let's also respond to the rumbling. Where is God moving? Where is God calling us? What is God speaking? What is he saying? There is a prophetic release in the worship that is happening. Let us experience that rumble together today.